The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. It is not nice for us to tell the customer, the client, which car to use. We want to make available the three kinds of propulsion to our client, and they will select. That was Benedetto Vigna, Chief Executive Officer of Ferrari, speaking about e-fuels and the challenges of green mobility. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I am Lisa Yucca, European Business Editor. This week, I interviewed Ferrari's head, Benedetto Vigna, on a Reuters newsmaker to discuss how he's going to drive the Italian luxury car maker into a cleaner but still profitable future. We talked about how a European Union deal to allow the use of carbon-neutral fuels in combustion engines may impact Ferrari and the car industry as a whole, but we also discussed how the Italian company is managing to address market turbulence, inflation and a trade war. To find out more about Ferrari's green journey, listen in. As we speak, uh, there's been quite interesting developments in Brussels because the European Union has for years been discussing the possibility of actually stopping new combustion car engines in Europe after uh, 2035. But there was a breakthrough agreement this weekend, which introduces the possibility of also using e-fuels. So I would really like to hear from you. I mean, what, what is your view of the viability of adopting e-fuels, you know, for combustion engines in Europe? Is this something that can be adopted at scale? Um, after this landmark deal, or will it remain maybe a niche market with electricity, electric vehicles, you know, becoming the main um, uh, source of energy for cars going forward? Thank you, Lisa. This is a, indeed a very interesting question. And I have to say that, uh, you know, we, we had a very interesting weekend, the last one. And uh, this weekend, what has been decided that the e-fuel can be used also, let me say, in the future. If you want, is a confirmation of the strategy, of electrification strategy that we announced last Capital Market Day in June. What we said clearly at that time is that our company will go ahead with the three propulsion scheme, the ICE, with the hybrid and the electric. So these news from, uh, from Europe of this weekend are a confirmation that our uh, plan to manage the technology transition, the energy transition is, is a good one. And uh, if you want, I've been managing a technology transition many times in my career, and I have never seen a digital switching happening. So very good news for us after uh, this very interesting weekend. Okay, so maybe let us understand a little bit better how the, the new rules, you know, will affect Ferrari in particular, because Ferrari is a small car producer. You, you make 1,200, sorry, 1,500 vehicles per year, more yeah. or less at the moment. So, you know, we're not talking about the mass uh, car producers that make millions, you know, of vehicles per year. So this particular changes, I mean, do they affect Ferrari or would you have some sort of exception, you know, or carve out because you are a small maker of cars? Uh, the, the discussion uh, before this weekend were already classifying us as small volume manufacturers 
because we are producing more than 10,000 worldwide, but we are producing less, we are selling less than 10,000 in Europe. So if you want the good news for us as a company in the weekend is that uh, on top of the electric cars, we will be able also to go ahead with our uh, ICE because uh, let's say uh, the technology in Ferrari has been always something that we have been uh, uh, using to provide unique experience to our client. So uh, in, in June last year, we said that we will continue developing very new engine on ICE. And now with the e-fuel, well, this can, be, can allow us also greater freedom on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the propulsion scheme. So I think uh, really, Lisa, this is something we, I think we were already in a good position before because we had until 2036 to go ahead with our ICE. This uh, decision is very interesting for us because it allows also the ICE to go beyond 2036. And in any case, in any case, the message is that we don't want to impose any propulsion scheme. It, would, it is not nice for us to tell the customer, the client, which car to use. We want to make available the three kind of propulsion to our client, and they will select. Okay, so let's remind our viewers that at the strategy meeting uh, that you mentioned, the Capital Markets Day, you had set a certain target for models, right? So for 2030, if I'm not mistaken, you had 40% of models electric, 40% hybrid, and 20% combustion engines. This is like in 2030, more yeah. or less. So. Yeah. I'll be interested in understanding, you know, how this decision and the debate at the moment maybe changes um, your vision beyond that. So does it mean that maybe this uh, division, this balance, let's say, is going to stay like this going forward? Or will we have still um, more electric cars? Because, you know, the focus up until now for the industry has been to um to push, you know, ahead with electric. So interested in understanding, you know, how the balance of models is affected, you know, by this development. No, no, no change, Lisa. We said the 40, 40, 20, as you said, the 40 electric, 40 hybrid and 20 IC. We stick to our plan. And if you want, uh, already in June, we were uh, embedding the idea to keep alive with ICE. So we stick with our plan and we go ahead along this direction. If something else will happen the next years, we'll see. But our, our plan is the plan of the 16 June 2022. Exactly okay. that one. But that give us a sense of, you know, how these technologies fit, you know, depending on the model that, you know, is being used. So, um, I mean, e-fuels, okay, there is a debate on whether they will become cheaper in the future at the moment. You know, some say they're, they're more expensive, um, but, you know, potentially will become cheaper. So I'm just trying to understand whether, um, you know, maybe electric models will be um, maybe the entry models, while the e-fuels will be for... Uh, the supercars, which maybe need more sort of power, you know, the sound of the roaring engine. And, you know, how should we look at those technologies? You know, which one is best fit for which model? Look, uh, don't think about a specific model using a specific fuel. Okay, this would be a wrong assumption. What mm -hmm. I can tell you is that when we, when we design 
a Ferrari, we, we keep uh, in consideration three important uh, pillars. So we start from this, and then uh, the technology is, uh, is a consequence of, of this choice. Which are the three pillars? First of all is the design. The second one are the performances and technology, quality fuel, electric, is a way to provide, to provide this kind of performance level. And the third one that is very, very important for our car is the uh, emotion to drive. The, 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 let's say the emotion that the driver experience when it is in the car. These are the three things we keep in mind. Now, if the technology is A, B, or C, if the fuel is A, B, or C, well, this is a consequence. We start from the emotion we want to deliver to our client. And then as a consequence, all happens. Coming back to the other part of your question, it's true today the e-fuel are a little bit more expensive, or uh, let me say, uh, from uh, uh, the numbers that you can read are from two to seven uh, euro per liter. It's also true on the other side that uh, it's a new technology. And like all the new technologies, there is time to, uh, to, to, to become cheaper. What is important for me is that in our company, we made this decision to go ahead with the three propulsion scheme and uh, we will use the technology always in a way unique to inspire and to pass do- those uh, thrilling emotions to our client. That's the key, Lisa. The rest uh, is, uh, is functional to this. Okay, but just as a follow-up, I mean, since uh, two things, I would say. I mean, on one hand, um, as you just mentioned, you know, these, these fuels are at the moment more expensive than regular fuels. So does it mean they're best fit for uh, the sort of higher end of the market, you know, where consumers are maybe less conscious about, less price conscious? That's the first question. And the second, what about the investment level for automakers? So automakers are already investing a lot to, to you know, push into the electric mobility. So if we also have e-fuel as an alternative, does it mean investments go up? Okay, let's start from the second one. Uh, clearly, let's say, uh, uh, we, we highlighted and we said how much money, how much is the capex we want and we are going to dedicate to the execution of the strategy we laid down in June last year. In those capex was already included the development that is needed for our engine on ICE that is using any fuel and if fuel is something that is compatible with the ICE, the combustion engine. So the number that uh, I gave in June, 4.4 billion euro as a capex uh, over the, the period 22-26 is something that keeps alive over there. It's enough for us to go ahead with electrification and also with the ICE that is compatible with uh, the, uh, the e-fuel. The first part of your question was about the investment needed for uh, you know, the, 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 the e-fuel and the price and what are the consequences. I think that the e-fuel that is taking the hydrogen of the water and the carbon of the atmosphere and putting them together with this new approval, I think it can receive a boost from the energy suppliers because, uh, let's say, it's clear that as all, for all the technology, as it has been all happening all over the humankind history, when you start to do things, you learn how to do things, 
and then the, the, the price can go down. Clearly, if you want, we being inducting in this sector, we have an advantage to access a little bit more expensive fuel. But I also believe that this e-fuel over the time, and there are different uh, articles on this, the price can go down. We are working with, on one side, a startup, on the other side, big players, to make sure that we are keeping the pace of this technology development, because as we said, it's important for us to provide and to be updated and to be on the, on the leading edge of any technologies that is available for, for the cars. Um, I mean, if you look at the industry as a whole, however, does, does this deal mean that the combustion engine supply chain, you know, which is very developed in countries like Germany and Italy and Europe, for instance, does it mean it kind of saved? Uh, or are we still going to have a situation where a large part of the cars, you know, on the ground will eventually be electric? I mean, I don't know how the big uh, uh, OEM, car OEM are going to see it. What I believe, uh, and I like uh, this kind of, um, uh, let me say, uh, uh, intermediate step, is that uh, in all the technology transition, usually the, 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 the transition is not digital. Okay, so the way I see it also for our world is that you will have uh, a consistent, a coexistence of of two technologies that also from, uh, you want, uh, if you want, from uh, the ability of the industry to manage this situation and this transition, it, it, it's easier. So the point of view of our, uh, uh, of the colleague that are uh, delivering millions of cars, I think they are better entitled than me to, to reply. For me, if I see the technology transition overall, it's a good point to see this transition phase. So this is good for us. It's really yeah, good. Maybe one last question about this kind of alternative fuels. I mean, we are focusing on e-fuels and you told us that Ferrari could use them. Would Ferrari also be able to use biofuels, you know, under this uh, revised, let's say, legislation? Or is that a complete different topic and, and different matter? Look, uh, Lisa, the, the point is that uh, we care about S, I mean, the gasoline that is fitting in the car. If the gasoline is coming uh, from uh, uh, the, the, the oil underground or from the bio over the ground or from the, if you want, from the carbon in the atmosphere, we want to make sure it's important for us that the gasoline has the right composition, the right number of octane to deliver the power we need. The engine we, we have and we will have will be able to, co to be compliant with these technologies. As I said, the idea of the e-fuel that is carbon neutral because you deliver out of the tailpipe the same amount of carbon that you take from the atmosphere, it's something that is, uh, is good from an, an ecological point of view and uh, it is uh, supporting even more our strategy over the last June. This is the point. Thank you. Um, maybe uh, one more question on this um, issue of green mobility before moving on to other topic that I'd love to discuss uh, with you. Um, uh, uh, I mean, uh, you've already told us that you will unveil the first fully electric model in 2025, which is practically around the yeah. corner. Can we get a sense of, uh, again, you know, where will you start from, whether it's, you know, more entry level or maybe, you know, Ferrari starts experimenting with, you know, high-end Tylo-made uh, models, you know, for its electrification journey? 
first of all, Lisa, I mean, we know a little bit, but I would like to say that I hear a lot of times the word Ferrari mobility using together. No, we, we, are, we are not talking about mobility. Okay. This is true for other big companies, not for us. When you talk about uh, Ferrari, you talk about uh, uh, a car that is unique and uh, is want, uh, is, let's say, want to deliver unique driving emotion to our client. So we don't care, allow me to say, it's not a functional car that is addressing the mobility needs. Coming to this, I would like to share with you today what we plan to unveil in 2025. But as a luxury company and in a luxury, the keeping the uh, you know, secret what we are doing is part, if you want, of the recipe. And thanks God, you cannot read in my memory, otherwise you would see what is impressed in my, uh, in my brain. <laughs> so this will be, I can tell you, a unique car. A unique because we, we, are, we are addressing in a unique way the way we generate energy, the way we reduce the losses, so on the technical performances, but also the way we deliver the experience to our client when it's sitting in the car, when it's moving with the car. So it will be a unique Ferrari that will address all the dimension on the technical side, on the emotional side, and also on the design side. That's what I can tell you today. So I don't want to say which kind of uh, Ferrari will be. It is a unique Ferrari. Okay, um, Benedetto, I mean, uh, I forgot to mention to the audience uh, uh, at the beginning that there is a possibility to ask questions, you know, through Slido, but I can already see that a few questions are coming through. Um, there's, uh, there's one that I want to ask you because it's relevant to our conversation. I mean, obviously, the Ferrari name is linked to the Formula One word as well, uh, you know, very strongly linked. Um, I mean, one person is asking, how will the green transition impact Formula One vehicles? You know, we've spoken about, you know, regular cars, I mean, although high end, but, you know, what about Formula One vehicles? You know, how uh, is Formula that? One, uh, Formula One, it's already decided that from 2026 onward, if, I mean, the, the, the synthetic fuel will be used over there. Uh, today, uh, the, um, the content of uh, non-natural fuel, uh, it's lower. So, if you want, Formula One is a good um, platform to develop new technologies that then can migrate uh, from the restricted world of racing to the wider world of sport cars. And we, as a company, having both uh, uh, souls on our company, we can benefit of what we learn in Formula One and we can transfer this uh, to our sports car on the road. So if you want uh, this concept from a track to road, it applies in general. You develop technologies in a smaller set, set. And in particular, if you want, it allows to us because we have the two souls on our uh, under one only umbrella. So this is, uh, this is the way I, am, I would uh, reply to you. Thanks for your question. Okay, um, just uh, uh, moving ahead, uh, because uh, obviously we've spoken a lot uh, about the green transition, but, you know, Ferrari operates also in a macro context, which uh, today is particularly challenging. Um, so just wanted to ask you how you're navigating that uh, context. So the last uh, two, three weeks, we've had, for instance, very turbulent market situation, uh, you know, with a couple of yeah. bank uh, uh, crises. Uh, I mean, Credit Suisse was just uh, pushed into a takeover by UBS here in, in Europe. So you know, when the market are so turbulent and, the, you know, there are questions about the financial stability, 
how does Ferrari rethink, for instance, you know, liquidity management? Are you diversifying bank relationships? I mean, are you taking particular steps, you know, to address the current turbulence? Look, when, uh, if, let's start from the second part, you know, the story of the liquidity and the, if you want the Swiss Russian you were referring to. Well, uh, clearly, I mean, in close contact with Antonio, the CFO of the company, and uh, the way we manage the liquidity is uh, in two ways through number one, diversification of the banks, and number two, looking carefully at the rating our brands. We have a specific policy we comply with where we have to select banks that we that have, uh, let me say, a high rating. This is on a specific, if you want, uh, situation that we've been facing in the last, uh, uh, in the last uh, if you want, hours. When it comes instead to a broader picture, uh, if you see the result of 22 with uh, the COVID and the war and the shortages, have been possible because the team in Ferrari has been able to manage well, if you want, with agility, all these different situations. And I think that in the future, and this is, a, if you want, is an interesting decade. In the future, the only things we are sure of is that there will be a continuous change. So the teams that are able to cope with agility, with flexibility, to address with a good teamwork this uh, situation will be able to survive. I think uh, we in the company demonstrated 2022 that has been a challenging year. It has been addressed properly with the new team that I, I set up in 2021. So let's proceed. Let's continue to work with the same determination. And that's what we will do. It, it, there is not, uh, if you want, uh, a set of rules to follow because we have to be agile to be able to address them uh, properly. So far, the company has been, has been able to address. We have uh, the team is determined. And I think there's also the competences to address the future challenge. We have always to be on the other side, Lisa, to be humble, you mind if you want, with, uh, in a confident uh, way, so that uh, we take any change seriously and uh, we adapt and we learn. Continuous learning in a situation that is fast moving. This is the key. Absolutely. Um, there are a number of uh, challenges, I would say. Maybe I'll, I'll list uh, a couple of others because I'm interested, uh, you know, in, in maybe getting a, a sense of how you're dealing with um, some of the others. So, so another challenge is the inflation, for instance. Yeah. So we had it last year, still here. Energy prices are up. Raw material prices are up. Obviously, you are in a business which has pricing power. But, you know, how far can your pricing power go? You know, how far before, you know, how much can you pass on without hitting your margins, which I remember, you know, you have a target for EBITDA margin of 38%, you know, which is yeah. quite, um, you know, ambitious. So, you know, how do you deal with the inflation? Look, you said well, inflation is definitely an area of extreme attention and uh, inflation um, is an area that is touching everyone. It does not matter if you uh, are in a business or in others. So clearly we are also uh, touched by it. Now, the degree that with which we are touched may be different, but uh, if you look, uh, last year there has been, um, if you want, uh, the inflation touched a lot uh, the gas, the energy price, that today, if you want, uh, seems to be a little bit in a better situation. The raw material was there and is there. And this year, we have also in addition the labor cost, because the labor cost, uh, many companies all over the world 
have been touching also the, the salary to cope, to allow their employee to cope with increased cost of living. I think that uh, what we did last year and what we plan to do this year, that means uh, a price increase in the range of 4 to 5%, is going, is going in this direction. Clearly, clearly, I want to underline, uh, Lisa, this price increase is not only meant for the inflation, it's also meant, allow me to say, for the emotion that we address and we deliver to our client. I mean, we, we are in the luxury space. In the luxury space, uh, the pricing uh, is defined by uh, the emotion. The emotion that we deliver to our client is, a, is not a cost plus uh, approach for defining the pricing. So this is very, very important. Okay. Maybe one other challenge, you know, that I mentioned to you and I would be interested in hearing, are you dealing with it? We are in the middle of a global trade war. I mean, let's face it, um, there's antagonism between the United States and China in particular, apart from the fact that we have a physical war, unfortunately, in Ukraine. But, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about securing the supply chain, in particular when it comes to, um, for instance, EV batteries, which, uh, you know, that supply chain is dominated by China, as everyone knows. So how are you ensuring, you know, that your supply chain is secure, you know, that you're not too dependent from a player that may be caught in the middle of this trade war? Uh, look, uh, uh, I would say that our uh, uh, supply chain uh, for two-thirds is based, uh, let me say, in, in Europe and in the US. I have to say that uh, uh, when it comes to uh, supply base that is not, uh, uh, let me say, on, uh, on the Western side, we make sure that there is always a solution that is, uh, let me say, uh, a, a, sort of a backup solution, allow me to say, in, in this way. And when we have our tier one, that are using, uh, that are using uh, um, critical suppliers uh, in a specific part of the world, well, we always make sure we go to see the tier two, tier three, are, uh, are uh, properly, let me say, are managing properly the security of supply. So, you know, last year, you remember, no, there were many chip shortages. Uh, the team, if you want, this is a specific fact. We have been able to manage all the situation. And believe me, several times these uh, chips were coming also from, uh, let me say, from, uh, from China. So uh, it, it's not easy. It's, uh, it requires some effort. But I think we are uh, having a, a plan that we are uh, following to make sure that uh, as we delivered last year, we're going to in the year to come. This is the plan, uh, Lisa. Benedetto, final, sorry, final, final uh, mention of the challenge of the risk, you know, that your company and others are managing and facing today. And, and this is the cyber risk, you know, that I'm quite interested in. I mean, uh, your company revealed just a few days ago that you've been subject yeah. to a ransomware attack. Uh, obviously, you're not the only one. I mean, there are data showing that, you know, this type of attacks have gone up 40% year on year last year from the previous one. So it's a real issue. Um, so what have you learned from this situation? But also, does it mean that, you know, this is a cost risk, basically, for your company, other companies, because, you know, these attacks are becoming more frequent and yeah. more aggressive? 
Look, the, 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 the digital world uh, is becoming, uh, by definition, less uh, limited than the, 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 the physical world, okay? <laughs> so uh, if you want the firewall, the, the wall to protect uh, the city, like in the past, uh, cannot be um, so easy to be erected. So what does it mean? It means that uh, for me, there are two ways to manage this situation. And I have to say that uh, I am very proud of how the team in the company managed this situation as well also the, what has been the answer the, and the reaction of our, our clients. Because there are two ways, as I said. Number one, open and transparent when these things happen and to manage the situation uh, with, uh, with the client. I mean, we, said, uh, we sent an email to our client telling them what happened and explaining also our plan of action. The second is that uh, when these things happen, instead uh, to pay the ransom and to feed more and more this kind of criminal act, because that's what we are talking about, well, we want and we are partnering with state-of-the-art companies that enable to make our uh, wall around the city, around Maranello, stronger and stronger. So again, here, Lisa, is the same point. The, 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 the hackers, if you want, are keep improving and uh, they want to find a small hole in our, uh, in our wall, a small hole in our wall. It's up to us to make sure that uh, we are learning fast. We are making sure the wall are well uh, secured and then uh, to manage the situation with the agility, the agility, the flexibility and the openness that uh, is, uh, is important for, uh, for the business and also to keep uh, a transparent relation with our client. This is the key, Lisa, because, uh, you know, the cyber world is very blurred. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to turn now to a couple of questions from the audience because, you know, our viewers want to get a, maybe a better understanding of who is the Ferrarista nowadays. So, you know, I have one person asking to what extent, you know, your targeted customer base is sensitive to, for instance, responsible sourcing of the material that you're using, you know, and how are you adapting to those requests if there are It's, you know, it's, it's a very good question. I have to say that in our event, uh, we see more and more uh, our, uh, let me say, uh, Ferraristi coming with their, all, their uh, younger son or daughters. So, and uh, it, I had the pleasure to talk with several of, uh, of them about this, um, let me say, attention uh, to, to green. And I have to say that uh, last year, when we said we want to be carbon neutral by end of this decade, it was also to take in consideration clearly all the inputs that we see around us, but also we see from, uh, from, uh, from our client. I believe that for a company like ours, a luxury company, we have to address, as we say, the, the three P, the, the planet, the profit, and the people. And I think that um, the Ferrarista, and um, I have to say that now after 19 months I am in this company, i know many of them they like a lot all what we are doing in terms of sustainability sustainability is becoming more and more important and what we are doing in maranello as well as with our supplier as well as on the product what is very much well seen and appreciated by our ferrarista clearly having a lot of clients There are different perceptions from uh, the different clients, no? They do not uh, <clears throat> all share. But uh, in average, 
Okay, well, the, all the effort that our company is doing toward a greener world, all of what we are doing, uh, even with the creation of Bosco Ferrari, because we started uh, in October, 12 October uh, 2022, a specific date, as you, can, uh, as you know. Well, all these activities are very much appreciated by our Ferrariste of different ages. Can you give us a sense, uh, you know, of who is or how the Ferrarista has changed? I mean, obviously, it's probably a diverse clientele, but the feeling many have and I have is that maybe a few years ago, it was predominantly male of a certain age. Maybe nowadays is a different crowd. So can you, you know, in order to understand, David, can you give us a sense who these people are? So I'll give a few numbers. But I will be very more specific. So who is a Ferrarista? Ferrarista is as uh, an age, an average age of 50 years. Okay? And it's uh, interesting to note that uh, if you take the Ferraristi that are buying ICE cars or uh, the Ferraristi buying the hybrid, the number is the same. We're talking about a difference of one month. Okay? <laughs> so this is uh, the average age. If I go to talk about the younger, sorry, the new Ferraristi that joined us, uh, our family, in the last four years, I'm talking about 15,000 new Ferraristi that joined our family, our community, in the last uh, uh, four years, since 2018. Well, we are talking about uh, a community that is eight years younger, eight years younger, with a lot of uh, female drivers. We're talking about 25%. And also we are seeing another interesting number, 40%, 40% of our new customers are younger than 40 years old. So this is the picture, if you want, of our Ferrariste. Um, Maybe another important uh, point is that this kind of metric is uh, valid also a little bit across all the geographies. We don't have any geographical pattern. The only things we can say is that in China, there is a higher percentage of uh, women. Also because in the other part of uh, the world, very often uh, the name is registered under the name uh, of the men, but uh, used... uh, by the women. We have also other cases. We have both cases. But uh, I, I remember, I can tell you this, Lisa, when we launched the car in Tuscany in September, it was a beautiful Purosan. Uh, there were, um, we invited the client with their partners. And many times uh, the pa- they wanted all to buy two of them because uh, each one of them can have <laughs> their, own, uh, their own cars. So if you want, uh, the, the, the strategy we said, different Ferrari, for different Ferraristi and different Ferrari for different moments, that is the strategy that we are following, is what is also driving, let me say, this kind of uh, Ferraristi. So this is the picture of Ferraristi, Lisa. No, absolutely. Do you also have a different Ferrari for different geographies? Maybe the demands are slightly different, you know, in Asia, South America, or not so much. No, 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 no. We say different Ferrari for different moments because the same car client want to have a 296 GTB, more on the sports side, and the Roma, more on the, let me say, on the gentleman driver side. But a different Ferrari for different uh, Ferraristi because you have a Ferraristi that like one car instead of another. I like to be more on the, on the track side, for example, while I know friends that are more on the, on the road side. Different Ferrari for different geography, we never said it does not apply. Because, uh, as I said, this kind of um, uh, client is more or less, uh, picture is more or less the same through all the, company, the countries 
where we are selling our cars. There's another um, audience question, which is interesting on a topic we haven't yet touched. And this is about the development of self-driving cars. So could self-driving cars be an option for Ferrari? I will uh, reply with an, a, a fact. A few months ago, the CEO of a company that was developing a, a, an autonomous car came to visit me. He's an old friend of mine. Then I told, you know what? Why don't we go to try a Ferrari on the, on the circuit here in Fiorano? When we drove the Ferrari, then he get out of the car and said, Benedetto, I understand. You don't need this kind of technology. What I mean is that having an autonomous Ferrari is in no sense. You may have autonomous for, you know, for function, like uh, uh, supporting the driving, but having Ferrari, it is autonomous, is removing the emotion that the client wants to drive when you are driving the car. So this is the reason why, let's say, self-driving car is good for the, the bigger, uh, for other customers maybe, but not, it's not for Ferrari. Understood, understood. So maybe for buses, you know, and other uh, type of vehicles, but not, uh, not for Ferrari. Uh, we, we're getting towards the end of our fascinating conversation. There's still a couple of questions I want to ask you. In particular, I really want to discuss the um, life lifestyle experience strategy, which you also have as part of your business vision. So, I mean, lifestyle is a combination of things. I mean, you have fashion shows, you have a museum, there's maybe, you know, experiences, mm -hmm. I mean, there's local themes, parks. So what is the purpose of this uh, diversification? Is it really, um, you know, creating a new and solid revenue stream or just marketing? No, 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 no. We don't do things to do that. So, number one. Number there's nothing four. wrong with marketing. Definitely. No, 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 no. No, look, I am a very... We are determined to succeed in what we do. So let's say, for the sake of everyone, in, the, in, in, our, uh, in our company, there are, if you want, uh, three, three areas. There is the racing, where the roots of our company lie. Then there is the sports cars that we've been talking a lot during this, uh, first, I mean, this conference call. And, this, and the last part is uh, that we started a few years ago is the lifestyle. So why we want to do this? This is your question. Today, we have a deep and strong emotional connection with a very large community. I'm talking about the fan. And this is uh, all the racing fan that we have uh, across the world, the brand admirers, and also the car owners. What we want to do, we want to grow even further this reach. We want to strengthen it. This is the point. We want to strengthen and to grow. And we want to do with addressing three clear pillars in this lifestyle. We are talking about the personal luxury goods, either hard or soft. The soft are the ones that you see in our, uh, in our fashion show. The hard are the ones that we are doing with our partner, Colette Montblanc, Colette Richard Mille, the, the, the watches. The experience, I'm talking about the experience, the, the, the restaurant in Maranello, the museum, the museum, in Maranello and Modena, last year, we had more than 620,000 uh, fan or, uh, let me say, family members, Ferraristi family members that are visiting our, uh, our two beautiful museum. And then there is the part of collectibles that, are, that is a good uh, synthesis of craftsmanship, of the innovation, of all, uh, let's say, the, 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 the beauty that is getting in the car. So lifestyle as three pillar, lifestyle is important because has the potential to grow even further the reach of our, of our large community. This is the point, Lisa. 
I, I, I hear you, but it's a very sort of diverse, you know, it's a big diversification, let's say, from your core business of making cars. So I wonder whether, you know, some may think that this, you know, could pose a management distraction. Uh, when, for instance, you know, are we going to potentially see meaningful revenue from this no. extra Look, it is not uh, uh, it is not a management distraction. We have a clear uh, a team that is fully dedicated to this activity. We have been able to attract with our strong brand top talent from this industry. And I think this is something, if you want, that makes a difference between us entering, going from the sport car to this uh, lifestyle business versus other, uh, other companies that have tried in the past. The strong brand we have is able to attract top talent. We've been able to rationalize the licenses that we had in the past. We have been able to also rationalize the network of our, uh, of our stores. We have been able to identify some areas where it makes to invest with patience. Yes, because these are not things that happen from day to night. I fully agree with you with uh, Lisa. And also, we say that in this five years, still 2026, four years now, we want to double, to double the revenues that we had in this pillar before the COVID. It's not, uh, a, let me say, an aggressive target. It's something that we believe is reachable. We are on track to make it happen. And as I said, there are clear, tangible uh, milestones that uh, we achieved, that we plan to achieve in this period. Okay, well, thank you. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, since I have still a couple of minutes, I'll end with one very short question. Uh, you are at the head of a brand, you know, which prides itself for exclusivity. How many cars can you make while still, per year, obviously, while still retaining that exclusivity which is kind of key to the brand uh, you, you said well lisa is a is a luxury we are a luxury brand we want uh, always to sell one car less than what the, the, the market demands and i believe that uh, there is no better way to keep desirable a product than selling less than what they want and okay, I, if, if, if you think if you think uh, if I say 15,000 and I'm, am I off mark or, you know, is that uh, Let's say, uh, you, you, you know what we said, what we saw the last year, we said also that the growth will be in the single digit side. So you can make your own math. What I want to tell you is that uh, our, uh, uh, we want to keep always high exclusivity. We want always to keep high the desirability because we believe that uh, in this luxury space, these are key ingredients. And that's the reason why when we announced the Puro Sangue, we said we do not want to double the volume of the car we make with one model. Maximum 20% of our yearly volumes will be called Puro Sangue. I think this is very important. It's very important for us. We stick to do, to sell one car less than the market demands. Well, thank you, Benedetto. I mean, this was a, a long and fascinating conversation. I mean, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you to the viewers Ciao. and see you hopefully soon. Ciao. Thanks bye bye. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslich in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Apple Podcasts, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.